Welcome back to the pollsters. I am your host, Republican pollster Kristen Soltis Anderson. Margie O'Mero is unfortunately not able to join us this week. She is a busy lady on the road, traveling, doing research for clients, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You may have heard it's a busy time in Democratic politics. So this week we have a very special episode where I am joined by friend of the show, woman extraordinaire, Mary Catherine Ham. Mary Catherine, thank you so much for joining me. Hello, I'm so glad to be here. And I'm I'm on the right, so I'm just off here like shooting my mouth out with nowhere to go. Cause Yes, normally on our show, we aim for a bipartisan take on what is going on and a data-driven take on what is going on. This will not be either of those things today. One, because both Mary Catherine and I are, are right of center. Uh, but two, because as of right now, we are recording this the day after Super Tuesday. And at the moment, there is not a single poll in America regarding the Democratic primary or the 2020 race that I trust. Not because the polls are wrong, but because things are moving so quickly that a poll that was taken three days ago is effectively useless to me in understanding where Democratic voters are, et cetera. It's actually a perfect day to have a non-pollster on the show uh, because of this information, that which is no information. <laughs> yes. And, you know, a, a week or two ago on this show, I was sort of joking with Margie about, like, her going through the set of emotions that folks like you and I went through watching the Republican primary four years ago and our uh, our concerns around uh, that kind of, you know, where that race was headed. And it seems as though if you are a Democrat who likes Joe Biden right now, you're feeling pretty good. If we look at the moment as of March 3rd, the 538 national polling averages had Sanders ahead of Biden by about 10 points. Um, As we saw on Super Tuesday, that is not likely to be the reality on the ground, that Biden's kind of cratering after his poor showing in Iowa and New Hampshire. He he has bounced back in a big way. What do you make of this? What do you think, you know, have there been any poll findings or data points that, that you have seen in your travels? that give you a sense of why was Biden able to bounce back so quickly and so resoundingly? Yeah, I think a couple things. First of all, I'm a CNN commentator and I have been since that 2016 election when we were watching a similar dynamic play out where everyone's got this wild card at the top of the polling and is wondering, okay, how's this going to go for the party? Oh, we must consolidate. This is rough and rowdy. Everyone get together, but no one really ever did. Uh, In this case, a lot of things fell right for Biden. Frankly, I was uh, a bit surprised, Um, but a lot of things went right for him in the right week. He kind of stepped up his game for that last debate before South Carolina. He performed well in South Carolina. Bloomberg got a little bit gutted on stage by Elizabeth Warren in a very public way for everyone to see, to undercut some of the, the progress he had made as the moderate alternative. And then you had two candidates drop out very quickly, decisively, Buttigieg and, uh, and Klobuchar and say, he's our guy. I think had not all that fallen in line, he might not be in the same position. And as for data points, one thing that does continue to to be my like my north star is that the bubble is real. The bubble is real, and what you hear in DC and what you hear in media 
does not reflect what you actually get from other places if you're paying more attention and closer attention to something other than the zeitgeist. Yeah, this is why I have been so vocally and consistently down on Bloomberg. And I got to say, it's hard to get every prediction right these days. I do not. But this one is one that I was confident in, that I was reasserted various times on this show and otherwise. And we know as of about an hour ago when we're recording this, Mike Bloomberg has dropped out of the race. He won American, crucial Waukesha American Samoa. Um, crucial, crucial, crucial. But to me, what what has driven this are, one, the Democrats have said consistently over and over again that they prioritize who can beat Trump. And over the last week or two, Sanders' big vulnerabilities on this front finally became clear. He has not been fully and thoroughly vetted in the same way some of these other folks have. And there's a lot of stuff lurking there that all of a sudden I think Democratic voters started to see and go, oh, wait a minute. He said, what about Castro? Maybe he doubled down on that? Are you kidding me? Yeah, that was, so a, one, that was a poorly timed moment to uh, to to. No, it just it reminded that. Democratic voters like, yeah, you may like Medicare for all. And consistently, by the way, I should note in all of the voter analysis, the exit polls coming out of Super Tuesday, Democratic voters across the country consistently like things like Medicare for all. And frankly, in many of these early states, Texas and California, places where Biden overperformed um, in a big way, you still had majorities of voters say they feel positively about socialism. So it it's not as though, you know, there is not some level of appetite for what Bernie Sanders is selling in the Democratic Party. But the number one thing people are interested in is how do we defeat Trump? I think Sanders showed some vulnerability on that front. At the same time, Joe Biden, by winning South Carolina, I really think you had a ton of Democratic voters who over and over and over in their polls would say, I like my field. Um, they were shopping around. Maybe they were trying out Mayor Pete or Klobuchar or Warren or whomever. But we never really saw polling that said Democrats were dissatisfied with their field. This was another big flaw of the whole Bloomberg gambit in the first place. It is not as though Democratic voters were going, I can't decide because I hate my field. They were going, I can't decide because I've got a lot of options and I really want to know who's got the got what it takes to take on Trump. So you get to finally South Carolina, where this really was Biden's last stand. I mean, he had put it right. all on that state. But by not just winning, but by winning by a couple of touchdowns, he proved I am the kind of guy who is able to win something sometime. And that I think was the minimum bar that your sort of average Democratic voter who does not watch all of the three hour debates that go until midnight, that does not tune into cable news talk all the time, is probably not listening to this show, but was, was planning to exercise their civic duty and just wanted to know, like, is, does Joe Biden pass like a minimum threshold of can he hold can he hold it together and can he do this? Right. Because I like him. I mean, his favorables have also always been quite strong in the Democratic field. Bloomberg has not enjoyed that. Bloomberg's favorables. I mean, in that exit poll from South Carolina, like an extraordinary number of South Carolina Democrats were like, nope, hard pass. No, thank you. So there were data points along the way that showed that the path back for Joe Biden was he had to demonstrate he could win somewhere. That it wasn't that people didn't like him. It wasn't that people thought he was a bad guy. They don't think he's a bad guy. They just wanted to see, are you sure you can win? 
winning South Carolina was enough. Now, we still have a long way to go. We still have a lot of other states ahead of us. But with Bloomberg dropping out, I expect, I mean, by the time this podcast goes up, maybe Elizabeth Warren will have dropped out. Who knows? Right. By the time we finish recording, maybe she will have dropped out. Who knows? Who knows? Um, it does not look to me like she has a great deal of a path. But um, and frankly, the the president's tweet, she should go back to drinking beer with her husband. I was like, honestly, I mean, that sounds drink like a, beer in your kitchen deal. with your husband and hang out with your golden retriever. That sounds like the best possible life. Sounds like Friday night to me. Sa- sign me up. <laughs> no, I think I think Biden was the national front runner for a long time for a reason. He passed for a lot of people a basic plausibility threshold, which yes. is like, OK, he checks a lot of boxes. He's a guy who could be president and they like him. They just mm-hmm. like him. And so I think he had that cushion when he started bottoming out a little bit and underperforming in those first two states. I overestimated how much that would change people's minds about him. I thought, okay. And to me, I think ideologically, he's more plausible and likability-wise more plausible for winning some of those Midwestern states that that Democrats have to take back from Trump. Um, but I thought, okay, but when does that vote, that practical vote become not so practical anymore when he doesn't look so plausible anymore? And I wondered if that moment would show itself in South Carolina. And it resoundingly did not. I think the issue for Democrats moving forward, if he does end up the nominee, is that uh, he kind of showed up a week before South Carolina, like in true Biden, like real Biden form, uh, reassuring Biden form. And you got to fight Trump for longer than that, way longer than a week. (laughs) Yeah. Look, all of the things that made Biden a weak candidate before today are still the case. He still does not have money. He still does not have a big organization. He still says strange things when he's giving speeches. Um, but in the same way that Donald Trump did not have a bunch of things that you would think would be required right. to be the Republican nominee, like that didn't seem to matter. Um, Joe Biden was able to pull off a political miracle on Super Tuesday without a lot of the things we conventionally think of as being critical. Now, looking forward, again, there's not a ton of polling that I think is super valuable right now because we have candidates dropping out left and right. We have the Biden surge and we like everything is a big question mark. But at the moment, if you look at the polling averages in Florida as of yesterday, Biden was in a much stronger position than Sanders. Biden was at about 28 percent in the 538 averages. Bloomberg was at 24 and Sanders was at 19. Warren only at about 7 percent. So you have Biden and Bloomberg combining for at least half of Florida Democrats, um, which is is pretty big. (laughs) So it seems that Biden is likely to get a huge delegate hall out of Florida. However, Michigan is, I think, interesting. As of yesterday, the polling averages in Michigan had Sanders up at about 31%, Biden at 20%, Bloomberg at 15%, and Warren at 13%. If Bloomberg dropped, well, Bloomberg has dropped out. Bloomberg has dropped out. If Warren does not, that puts Michigan potentially in jeopardy for Sanders. I mean, this was a state if I recall correctly, that he did quite well in against Hillary Clinton uh, four years ago, um, if he can't pull off Michigan or if it's a tight race, I mean, that to me kind of has to be the end for him. Michigan is so tailor-made to be exactly the kind of place, um, you know, with a lot of those like uh, the, the working class voters that Sanders has always said are kind of his bread and butter. Um, this is the kind of Sanders Trump voter trade-off people. Do you think there are any states coming up that you in particular have your eye on? 
Well, yeah, I'm actually watching Michigan because I think it's a proving ground for winning the kind of voters that Democrats are going to have to win, right? There was a moment at the 2016 election night where I was watching John King dissect on the uh, the magical board, the Michigan map, and he's going deep into Macomb County. And I'm like, if they're looking there for votes, this is done. Trump is yeah. the winner. So that is a proving ground for exactly the kind of voters they need to win. Uh, Bernie, of course, has appeal with those voters. Uh, but do those voters get a little more practical and decide that Biden is their guy. Um, so I think that's a, that's a big moment for this, this sort of intersection for the, uh, for the election. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about the general election. Now that it seems to be more likely that it will be Biden, though it still could be Bernie Sanders. I'm not in the business of saying anything's impossible anymore. Just look at this Joe Biden comeback. But when we come back, we'll, we'll look ahead to 2020. And then after that, we will be checking in on the status of Corona beer. So stay tuned here on The Bolsters. We'll be right back. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online, so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google certificates. All right, we are back. And now we're going to talk a little bit about the November election. So at the moment, the president's job approval, um, still in pretty good territory for him at about 45% approved, 52.3% disapprove, according to the Real Clear Politics average, a slight dip in approval this week and a slight uptick in disapproval. Possible this is related to coronavirus. Possible this is related to uh, the Democratic field looking a little less chaotic. You know, that one of the theories was that part of why the president's job approval has crept up over the last few weeks is that he is looking better in contrast to the alternatives um, as the Democratic field looked kind of a mess, as that debate last week, you know, was kind of a nightmare. The Trump was Trump was starting to look pretty good compared to the alternative for some people. Uh, but that seems to have tapered off. Again, that disapproval spiking up by about a point or two this week. Uh, the general election, we have a couple of polls that have come out. We had a poll from NBC News and Marist that took a look at some of these matchups, as well as some polling from East Carolina University. So North Carolina, um, a state that is near and dear uh, to your heart, Mary Catherine. All my high school friends went to ECU, so we're celebrating now. There you go. Well, they, they believe, ECU's polling believes that Joe Biden would beat Trump in the state of North Carolina by two points. They have every other contender losing to Trump. Sanders, they have him losing to Trump by five points. Warren, they had losing by eight. Bloomberg, they only had losing by one. But, you know, that's that's notable. And then NBC News Marist also has North Carolina, um, Biden up by four over Trump. Sanders up only by two, but that's not too far away. Then you also have polls coming out from Dallas Morning News and NBC from Texas, uh, and in all of these polls, you have Trump up by some amount. However, the Trump versus Biden matchups, both from NBC and from Dallas Morning News, are not overwhelming. NBC has Trump up by four in Texas. Dallas Morning News has him up by one over Biden. 
this is kind of scary numbers for Trump. I mean, you have these great economic numbers for him. You have people saying they love the job he's doing on the economy. His job approval's in good place. You know, it went up during impeachment. Right. And yet you look at some of these, what ought to be pretty red state polls, and those numbers are not great for Trump. Uh, do you think, based on your deep knowledge of the state of North Carolina, is North Carolina seriously in play this year? Uh, look, I think, yes, I think North Carolina is is ripe for swinging a little bit more purpley than it was uh, last time. I think that's a real thing. Now, that being said, look, I, Trump is not a should should be candidate in that he's such an unorthodox figure that even though his approval numbers just float around this not so great number and sometimes tick up a little bit in surprising moments like impeachment, those numbers should be higher given the economy, right? But they're not. But Trump is never a should be guy. He's never doing, frankly, a lot of things that conventionally you say he should be doing. So he will continue to exist on that plane. My question is, how much like Trump is Biden's polling going to be in this way? And this is this is what I mean by this. How much of Biden's foibles are baked into his approval, right? Just like with Trump, mm-hmm. all of his foibles are baked in. So the reason he sort of floats there is because people are like, oh, yeah, we knew that. He's that guy. Uh, Biden, same way, he's going to have these weaknesses that the Trump campaign may see as easily conquerable. Um, like, oh, we're going to take him on the debate stage, no problem. Uh, but as you see from this polling, he could actually exist on a stronger plane than that because a lot of people go, yeah, we know he forgets stuff, but he seems like a nice guy and he's uh, not Bernie. He doesn't seem too crazy. <laughs> yeah. This is why I think the map is the map of which states were in play, I think we're going to be different whether it was Sanders or Biden as the nominee. Right. I I felt like if Bernie Sanders is the Democratic nominee, like Republicans don't have to worry about Texas. They don't have to worry about North Carolina. But maybe they do have to worry about some of these blue wall states with folks who feel very deeply economically aggrieved. Well, uh, sorry, I was going to give an example. So I used to live, uh, I was a newspaper reporter in Rockingham, North Carolina, which is in Richmond County, which is one of these counties that is a quintessential Trump county. It was a textile place. The, The economics sort of fell out from under them. They were slowly rebuilding, but not a not a booming area, but voted Democrat forever and ever and ever and ever, amen, in presidential elections, and then went Obama, Obama, Trump. I do think a guy like Biden plays there easily better than a Bernie does. And those are the kind of counties you're looking to flip in in North Carolina or any of these other uh, Midwestern, a little bit more rural counties. Yeah. Now that it's shaping up, I mean, one thing that pollsters will be very happy about is now you can pretty much only ask these two general election matchups. Like this was a big point of controversy a few weeks ago because ABC Washington Post had been asking Trump versus Sanders, Trump versus Biden, Trump versus Bloomberg, Trump versus Buttigieg. And then they had been asking in the past Trump versus Warren and they swapped out Trump versus Klobuchar and the Warren people got all upset. It is remarkable how fast this has now really collapsed down to Trump versus Sanders, Trump versus Biden. I don't believe that it is impossible to imagine the United States electing Bernie Sanders president, but I do think that the map looks more challenging for him and looks very different for him. And I I also think that in the current media euphoria over, oh God, Biden saved us from Sanders, that that a lot of his foibles and weaknesses are being glossed over for the moment, but that will not last. Well, and all all the things that have been glossed over to the extent that they have, uh, Trump will not be doing any glossing. So no. that, will, 
<laughs> you're going to have to confront that uh, eventually, and it will be harsh. Uh, so, so the extent to which he's been vetted and those foibles have really been played out uh, is a question. So in your travels at CNN, um, when you are on panels and are, you know, hey, you're the conservative, talk to us about what conservatives are thinking. I mean, on the one hand, Republicans just came out of the midterms, losing the suburbs very badly. Clearly, there are a lot of voters out there who may even like the way the president's handling the economy, but they are just not thrilled with what they are seeing from Washington and very well may be ready for a change. And I, I feel like there's a... On the other hand, the conventional wisdom weirdly does seem to be like, oh, Donald Trump's going to get reelected. Like, I I hear that from a lot of Democrats that I talk to where it's almost like they're so scarred from last time around thinking Donald Trump could never get elected that they've now like overcorrected where they're like, he's definitely going to win. Now, that may change now that Biden has proved that he is more viable as a candidate. But, you know, you talked about we stay inside this bubble. Are there things that you hear us bubble folks talking about with regards to 2020? That you're just your sense is this is not right. Like we're missing something here. I think so. The the thing that that I always see and that is a is a real phenomenon that we should talk about is this exurban sort of white college educated mom vote uh, in the suburbs that does not care for Donald Trump and might have been centrist or sl- slightly right leaning before and is being pushed away by him into the arms of the Democratic Party. That's a real thing we've seen in uh, in 2018 exit polling and those results. We talk about that a lot. But there is another shift that I see uh, talking to people who are slightly right of center or even very right of center, um, which is that the sort of the hysteria and like sort of longtime coverage over the Mueller report in Russia, plus the the possibility of a Bernie candidacy has done something, which is it has shifted a lot of Trump voters up the engagement ladder, as they say. So, for instance, uh, people who were enthusiastic supporters last time of Trump are now crawl across glass supporters of Donald Trump. And then you have hold your nose Trump voters from last time who are now enthusiastic donating volunteering ones. And then you have a segment and many of the ones I know, and this is anecdotal, I apologize on your database show, but I know many of them. Uh, It's call it my own focus group of suburban college educated women who should be in this other demographic we talk about all the time that's being chased to the Democrats, look at Bernie and look at Trump, and this is you know, from that scenario, and go, I think maybe I'm moving from not a Trump voter to a hold-your-nose Trump voter. And I think that is a shift that we don't talk about a lot, but that I see happening when I talk to a bunch of people right of center. Yeah, I had a lot of interesting, again, sample of text messages of people who are not not friends of mine from the political world at all, people who I have met in, you know, from high school or college, who, as it looked more and more like Bernie Sanders might be the nominee, were having a lot of the like, who am I? I'm gonna have to vote for one of these people. Yes. Now I, I I don't doubt that we're going to get to November and the unfavorables on both of America's major options are going to be sky high. But just that this there was this already this like people having to talk themselves into something this early in the game is like, whoo, this is yeah. going to be an interesting ride. Yeah. Too high on favorables oh. is what we do now. That's, that's everybody hates everything. That's, that's a consistent polling <laughs> theme. Uh, so we'll let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to spend a lot of time talking about Corona beer with my favorite fast and furious uh, correspondent. Yeah. So we'll be right back uh, here on The Pulsar. Stay tuned. 
Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. All right, we're back. Mary Catherine, you can have any beer you want, as long as it's a Corona. (laughs) That's our mantra. We are headed into the springtime, and spring, anytime we are in the Lenten season, that usually means a Fast and Furious movie is upon us. Uh, If Star Wars has become the franchise of Christmas, Fast and Furious is the franchise of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Uh, (laughs) These films tend to come out around Easter. We have remarked in past podcasts that we used to do for The Federalist that oftentimes Dominic Toretto is quite literally saved by his cross necklace. It's true. Uh, So we're headed into a season with a new Fast 9 film. Mm -hmm. And Corona Beer is a critical, I would say, key character and member of the team in Fast and Furious. But it has also taken on new life as uh, a victim of the coronavirus. So a big story broke out in polling circles uh, last week where a public relations firm rolled out uh, a survey and claimed that 38% of Americans said they wouldn't buy corona under any circumstances because of the outbreak. Mm-hmm. And another 14% said they wouldn't order a corona in public. And this was billed as like this causal relationship where... Right. People say because of coronavirus, I'm not drinking Corona beer. Now, this falls apart because what you could actually have is a lot of people saying, like, I simply don't like to drink Corona. I mean, that would be crazy, but sure. That would be a wrong opinion. (laughs) It's it's a delicious, delicious summer treat. But this is like a perfect example of the stuff pollsters have to fight against all the time. Because a pollster will do a good survey and put it out there. And it won't get a lot of attention. Or if it does get attention, it's because somebody has kind of tweaked a result to be as clicky as possible. Or someone just outright does a poll of like questionable provenance and like puts the results out there. I mean, there's another piece of the coverage of this that comes from a survey from YouGov, which is reputable. They, They were finding consumer intent to purchase Corona had fallen to its lowest level in two years. However, one thing that, I mean, I spoke at the National Beer Wholesalers Conference last year, the entire beer industry is grappling with the fact that everybody loves hard seltzer. Like, it may not be that people are like, oh my God, coronavirus, I'm not drinking corona. It may be that like, people are like, hey, no, no laws when you're drinking claws. And so that is cannibalizing some of this market. Mary Catherine, what do you make of the coronavirus, corona beer connection? Was there any attempt in that original poll or survey to 
actually find like a causal relationship? Was there any reason it was attributed to that or it was just buzzy? And so they decided we're getting these answers. And so we're going to say this. So it was just buzzy. And there was a reporter from the Atlantic who actually tried to follow up and like get additional detail about the poll. And I believe was like vaguely unsuccessful, like that the PR firm was not very forthcoming about information. A comparable example from polls that like an actual campaign pollster might really do is, you know, a lot of times clients will want these. Does this make you more or less likely to vote for someone? If you knew that a Republican member of Congress supported X, would it make you more or less likely to vote for them? But you always have to be careful when you're interpreting those results, because a large portion of people are going to say, oh, you asked me, would you be more likely to vote for a Republican if they helped a little old lady cross the street? Well, I'm less likely to vote for them. And it's like, you are never going to vote for them anyways. But you could look at this number and you could go, oh my gosh, guys, 30% of Americans said they would be less likely to vote for somebody running for office if they helped an old lady cross the street. Look, Americans are monsters. Like, no, that's not actually, that's not actually what's going on here. So in, in defense of Corona, I don't think that the polls are showing that there is a particular. So that's what I think. There's a there's an indictment of our uh, media culture and the the clickiness that this became such a huge thing because I I think it's hurtful to a brand that d- frankly doesn't deserve it. Uh, not just because of my own I, I enjoy drinking in the summer, but it's like it's uh, dare I say sort of fake news here, uh, and that's not fair to anyone. Do I think that I know people probably who are like, yeah, maybe I'll pass on Corona beer until this is over. I sh- I'm sure I could find one of those people. Uh, but I want to be responsible about how we treat our beer brands because I enjoy a great many of them. And so I will, I'll be diligent in checking into these things in the future. And I'm proud to say that I did not tweet or Facebook it. So <laughs> good for showing restraint. Bless you. Bless you, my friend. I try. Everybody, you can drink Corona beer. It's fine. They're not a sponsor of the show. They're just hold a special place in our hearts. It's true. Have Corona, but wash your hands before and after. That's all you really need to do. Those are the keys to success. All right. Well, that's all the time we've got for this week's show. Mary Catherine, thank you so much for jumping in and very ably filling the shoes of Marjorie O'Mero. Well, glad to be here uh, on a week in which uh, my particular expertise spouting off were needed as opposed to uh, Margie's more specific data-driven expertise. <laughs> <laughs> Today is a day just for talking about feelings. It's, Love it. It's, it, it's fabulous. Uh, you can find the pollsters at at the pollsters. You can find me at at Soltis Anderson. Mary Catherine, where can people find you and your work? I am on Twitter at MK Hammer. You can find me on Instagram, which is more fun half the time at MK Hammer Time. And I'm on CNN and I write some places. Keep an eye out. She writes some places, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. And listeners, thanks so much for listening in. Next week, Margie will be back. We will dig through all of the polls that are coming out after Super Tuesday to see if the Biden bounce is real. Talk to you next week. <laughs>